If you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, join me this morning in Romans chapter 2. We're going to take... We're going to take a journey through that entire chapter today, um, and there's lots of, lots of good stuff in there, and this is another one of those like last week. Um, if you remember, as we finished up chapter one last week, there was lots of things that as we talked, you know, it can feel, it, it can feel heavy, and chapter two kind of has some of that same um, same element to it. If we really dig in and look at what Paul is writing, there's going to be some things as, as we unpack it together today that we're going to kind of feel like are maybe pointing at us and maybe, maybe some things should be pointing at us. But I don't want this morning, just like last week and any week, I don't want this to be uh, one of those where we walk away after after our time together and, and just like, oh, I want this to be encouraging for us as we look at, you know, the reality of what we're doing in the world that we live in. Um, because we do, we need to constantly evaluate ourselves in light of God. And that's, that's what we're going to dig into this morning in Romans chapter 2. But before we get there, this kind of lays the ground for us. And I, I have a question for you. Nobody has to really answer out loud because you might not want to embarrass yourself. But does anybody have any superstitions? Now, there's a few hands. Okay, we have superstitions. I, uh, I've never looked up the, like, technical definition of superstition so I did this week because I just like to do that stuff but the long-winded technical definition of what a superstition is it's a widely held but catch this but unjustified belief in supernatural causation leading to certain consequences of an action or event or practice based on such a belief anybody understand that I looked it up and I wrote it down and I still don't understand it all. But basically what a superstition is, is something unreal that we're trying to do something else to offset the unreal that doesn't exist. That's basically what a superstition is. And, you know, as irrational as they can be, we all do. And I'm going to confess one of mine in a few minutes. We all have some superstitions. Um, you know, maybe for you it's a lucky pair of pants or shoes or you just avoid Friday the 13th. Whatever it is, there's something um, that's important to us. And as, as we try to maneuver and, and use luck to get through the issue, what it all boils down to for us is we're trying to take control of something that we really don't have any control over. And that's, that's what it boils down to, is we're trying to control something else. And, I mean, we've, we've talked about that many times of all the things that we try to control. And, of course, there's one that we try to control and manipulate a lot also. But, uh, you know, some of the common... Um, some of the common superstitions that we know, and I even looked up some of the roots of where these things came from because I didn't really know, especially on a couple of these. But do y'all still cross your fingers? Is that, you know, that's still one that you do? Um, 
you know, that's, there is, there is a cr Christian kind of tradition in that. It, it symbolizes the cross a little bit, but anyway, it's really not that. It's, it's more of a pagan thing, and we're trying to concentrate and hold back the forces of evil is what we're trying to do. That's, that's the cross. And the, yeah, we're trying, we're trying to hold back the forces of evil because we're concentrating the good. That's, that's what it means. We're concentrating the good. So, see, y'all learned something with me. Salt over the shoulder. Does anybody do that one? I do that one. Karen makes fun of me. But if I spill salt, a little bit of salt, and throw it over my shoulder because that wards off, and I looked this one up, that wards off the devil. Because here's where this one comes from. And I thought this was really interesting. Da Vinci's Last Supper, Judas is spilling salt. And I didn't believe that or know it. And I don't know if I was looking at the real Da Vinci online or not. But the portrait I saw, it does depict Judas is spilling salt. And we know, we know what happened to Judas. He, he portrayed, or not portrayed, took out evil on Jesus with, with his betrayal. And so the whole idea of throwing salt over your left shoulder is that we're getting rid of that bad fortune that has roots back to Judas. So there you go, something for trivia night. Anybody walk under ladders? You're not supposed to. Yeah, you know why though? Another one, the Trinity. It's based on the Trinity. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and there's three. The holy number three. And when a ladder's leaning on a wall, there's three sides. So if you walk under the ladder, you're breaking the three. And the belief is that you're breaking the Trinity and you're releasing evil into, into the world. These are crazy, right? But these are things that we believe and things that we do. And then this one, of course, I love. I remember this one as a kid. You step on a crack, you break your mama's back. Oh, yeah. yeah. That, that one, it's what it's rooted into is if you step on a crack, again, evil spirits, you're releasing the evil onto somebody in your family is the step on a crack. You break your mama's back. Yeah, that, I maybe have stomped on a couple of cracks. No, I'm just I'm kidding. Mom, if you're going to listen later, ignore that. I don't mean that. Uh, one, of my, one of my personal ones, just to tell you about me, besides the salt over my shoulder, is the way I put on my socks and shoes. Because I, I had, and it's more probably OCD than it is a superstition. But I put on my left sock, my left shoe, my right sock, my right shoe. Then I tie my left shoe. Then I tie my right shoe. Because that gives me balance. And if I do it any other way, I'm not balanced. But that's how I put on my shoes. Every day. Socks and shoes. Every day. And again, it, it, to me, it feels like I'm out of balance. But... Again, that superstition thing, something I'm trying to control. I'm trying to manipulate my day with my socks and shoes. And I believe that it works. Y'all believe it works too, right? Your superstitions, my superstitions. But here, here's the, the reality, is, and we're going to dig into the text about those superstitions again. Something that we're trying to manipulate an outcome. And that's the basis of a superstition, something that we really don't have any control over. Some of those things, there's really not any basis to them at all. 
but we're still trying to manipulate the outcome. And it, it really fits well coming out of the end of chapter one last week and into the the begin or the chapter two in Romans this week. Because if you remember what we saw as Paul was unwrapping some things uh, for his audience last week, is that idea of suppressing the truth, the idea of suppressing God and exchanging the truth for for God. And, and it's the same thing for us. What, you know, what are we trying to exchange? What are we trying to suppress? What are we trying to manipulate instead of believing what we know and following who we know is right? Because again, the whole thing that we're studying from the book of Romans, the righteousness of God and how to be right with God, ourselves and others, and it all starts, it all starts with our alignment with God. And if you remember even last week, and if you weren't with us last week, this is something that uh, I think was, was kind of critical for our discovery. The word sin, as we suppress and we exchange and we enter into, and we enter into sin, we, we know because we've made an exchange and we're manipulating things. That little simple three-letter word, sin, the middle of that word is the letter I. And that's, that's that idea of manipulation, suppression, exchange. We're trying to control. And it, it all comes back to us instead of looking up to and pursuing. And that's our word for this morning, pursuit. Instead of pursuing God first in everything, we get out of line and we're trying to control. And instead of living by the gospel that we've seen Paul proclaim in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, you know, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And instead of living by that as we're living and pursuing God and living our lives right with God, we're chasing after me first. And we get things, we get things twisted. So with that, let's go to, let's go to Romans chapter 2 and really dig into our text this morning. As we, again, remember, looking back, we're, you know, we're seeing Paul outline a whole lot of things to, to his Jewish audience about some other people, the Gentiles, the others. And, and we'll come back to that thought in just a second. But Romans chapter 2, let's just start out and read just the first four verses uh, to get us started in our discussion this morning. Paul continues for us and he says, You may think that you can condemn such people. Remember, he's just been unwrapping a whole lot of things for his, for his audience. And think about it. And, and think about, again, that I, that, that idea of who, we're, or who is being pursued, who's being suppressed, who's being exchanged. And, and, and God is there pursuing God. And he's just laid out all of these things for them about those other people. And think about... Think about what the heads in the crowd might have been doing as they read this letter the first time. You're sitting there shaking their head. Yep, right. You're right, Paul. Man, those people, yep, you're right. Mm-hmm. They do all of that stuff. You're right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So now he comes to them in chapter 2. You think that you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. 
When you say that they are wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself for you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this, mean that nothing, does this mean nothing to you? Can you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? And we'll stop right there for this per- first part of the chapter. But again, think about, you know, think about how this had to feel the first time that they read this because Paul's pointing out a lot of things about the other people. And then he comes right back and he's asking them, how do you think? How do you think that you can avoid judgments? How how do you think that you can get away with all of this stuff that you've been doing? And, And why do you test the patience of God? Don't you understand just how patient God is? You know, and we have... We have for us a letter that they may not have read yet, but in you know, 2 Peter chapter 3, we're even reminded of, of the patience of God in, in his waiting to come back because he wants all man to know him and to have a relationship with him. But Paul is challenging the Jews in, in the audience as they're reading this. You know, doesn't that patience mean anything to you and this is this law all of these things that were that you know I'm writing to you this is intended to turn you from your sin not give you what you think is the the freedom to live and do what you want and just from a just from a history and an understanding standpoint this is a pretty harsh thing for Paul to write because if you go back and you and you study in other in other writings in the bible through the prophets um, you see people punished when they call J- the jewish audience out for their guilt we we know that some prophets that it costs them their lives we know Jesus Christ it cost him his life for calling out the audience on how they were living their lives. And, you know, this is the same audience that just a, a few minutes ago, if you were reading this in one, sit, in one sitting, they would be sitting there applauding like, oh, yes, Paul, you're right. You're right. Those people, oh, and we're just, we've got all this. And those people, Paul, you're right. But, man, he comes, he comes right back to them and all of the things that they're condemning what they refer to the dogs with the Gentile dogs those people outside of what we have he's telling them you're just like them you you have no leg to stand on you have a responsibility. Here's, here's what he's calling the audience to. If you, if you continue to read through um, verse 15 in this, or 16 in the first part of this chapter, he, he goes on and he tells them as, as Jewish people, as Jewish believers that have had the law, that they have a greater responsibility and accountability than they even want to admit and he's, he's telling them, you know, you, you had a responsibility for these people that you're condemning to know who I am. And yet you choose, 
you choose to live your life opposite of what you know. And this is, man, this is just, um, as one commentary that I read, uh, the, the author of that commentary was talking about, you know, just the, uh, just the blatant hypocrisy that Paul is calling his audience out against. You know, and we like to throw that word around too. We like to, we like to call people hypocrites all the time. But, you know, sometimes we need, to be, we need to be careful with who we're pointing at. Because always remember what happens when you point. And teachers for sure know this. One in the back of the room is waving her hand. When you point at somebody... Three fingers are pointing back at you. So when you're saying something to somebody else and you hypocrite and you knew better, and that's what that audience that Paul's writing to is feeling because they've been sitting there shaking their finger and it, the whole time it's pointing right back at them. And Paul reminds them that this is not just about hearing that it's about obedience. And he even tells them later down in this first part of the chapter that every culture, every culture, and we, we looked at this in chapter 1, you know, the creation, the creation reveals God. And Paul reminds them that every culture has a moral code that they live by. Every culture has the good and bad that they understand. And what it boils down to is that God is patient. He doesn't play favorites and that it's a matter of the heart it all boils down to a matter of the heart and remember we talked about this last week knowledge does not equal salvation there's a relationship that's required regardless there's a relationship that is required and that's what Paul is even reminding this audience of that it's not just about the law it's just not about just knowing the law and having the law there's a relationship that is required because of what Jesus Christ has done for them and what he has done for us and that pursuit who are you pursuing is basically what he's asking them who are you pursuing are you pursuing yourself are you pursuing God? Now let's move on into uh, the latter part of, of the chapter. Um, I'm checking my clock here. We'll, uh, we're going to start reading at verse 17. I'm not sure if I'll read all the way through or not, but I wanted to read that last part of the chapter because there's, there's three things for us that are, are takeaways from what Paul is discussing here with, with the, the church in Rome. Verse 17, he says, You who call yourselves Jews are relying on God's law, and you boast about your special relationship him, with him. You know what he wants. You know what is right because you have been taught his law. You are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light for the people who are lost in darkness. You think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God, for you are certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and truth. Well then, verse 21, and those two words, those ought to be a red flag for the readers. Well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? You tell others not to steal, but do you steal? You say it is wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? You condemn idolatry, 
But do you see items stolen from pagan temples? Do you use items stolen from pagan temples? You are so proud of knowing it, the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scriptures say, the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. That's from, that's from Isaiah. The Jewish ceremony of circumcision has value only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you are no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. And if the Gentile obeys God's law, won't God desire them to be his own people? In fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will condemn you Jews who are circumcised and possess God's law but don't obey it. For you are not a true Jew. And this is, I mean, as I read this even again this morning, there's just so much in here that is just like, oh, Paul, take a breath. Don't, don't keep beating me up here. But um, back to what he's writing. For you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you've gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. Mm. Let's, see if we, let's see if we can unpack that just, to, just for a couple of minutes. Again, it kind of led me to, uh, to three different thoughts as, as I was preparing this. The first is a question, and I think this is a question that we can, we can see clearly in what Paul is writing here. What do people think about God as they watch our lives? What do people think about God when they watch our lives? And I said it a minute ago, you know, the, the whole thing of the pointing, and there's three fingers pointing back at us. Because what, what Paul is reminding his audience and what he's reminding us, it's more, it's more than outward action. It's about inward attitude. It's about the heart. We're reminded in Hebrews chapter 4, when it comes to the Word and, and living by the Word and following the Word, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, for the Word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And Answering that question, here, here's what Paul is telling his audience. Those, those others, those people that you're talking about, those people that you're pointing at, those pagan Gentiles, they have interaction with you every day. They see you every day. And they're not fooled because you're a Jew who has the law. They're not fooled. By what you say on the outside. Because they see the inside. Think about that for us. And again, I don't want this, I don't want this to be one of those anchors sitting on, sitting on our gut. I want this to be encouraging for us as, as we go and do what we do every day. To think about. We have to keep these things in our mind. What does the world see? What, what does our life tell people 
about what we think about God. I hope, I do, I hope for all of us that the world, when they watch us, they see the love that we have for Christ. They see him in us and they know and they even experience that love through a relationship with us. I, w I want that to be who we are so, so much. But we all know that sometimes, sometimes we, we're manipulating things in life. And we're trying to control things in life. And sometimes it's easy. Man, the enemy can work crazy through things around us. And sometimes we can get out of line and we're pursuing us and we're not pursuing God. Keep, keep that locked in your head. Pursuing God first. Being right with God so that what the world sees is that heart, not just the outside, not just quoting a scripture or not just saying, I'm a believer but seeing that reality come through because it's alive in you, because you've been changed inside, because I've, in I've been changed inside. A second thought that it, that it led me to is God is not impressed. God is not impressed with just the, the mere outward formalities. And basically what that means, the, the, the audience that Paul is writing to, they had come to the point where they were, they were sitting on the law. And again, that idea of, of hypocrisy. They're, they're sitting there comfortable with the law that they have, justifying themselves because the law has made them right and using that then to condemn the world around us. And again, that, you know, that, that just that facade that's on the outside. And that, that doesn't fool our Father in heaven. And that doesn't fool the world around us. And this, you know, this kind of has a, a duality to it with that first thought of what people see. But God sees it also. And God desires our heart. He, he doesn't just want, he doesn't just want the outside to be a show. He wants the inside changed and pursuing him first. And then the last thought that I had as I, as I studied this and back to that, that following God first, being focused on God before everything else. And again, superstition is not trying to manipulate and control things with rituals that we have but that it's a journey that we're on and it's a spiritual reality. Paul talks in the end of this, this chapter that we're reading about the physical circumcision. It's, it's again, it's that internal change. It's the circumcision of the heart, cutting away, allowing God to cut away all of those things that are in his way. Take all of those things out of our lives so that our heart is pure as we follow him. He doesn't want, he, he doesn't want the physical marks that sometimes we rely on. 
And, and catch this, because we, we, we all do these kind of things coming to church, that physical mark that I'm a believer in Christ. You know, the Lord's Supper, membership at a church, all, all of the things that, that we do to portray, to portray that we're a follower instead of the heart being changed from within so that everything that we do, everything that we say, in every way that we live our lives points others to Christ. So that, and I say this all the time, so that when we have the opportunity, we can use our words and we can express who Christ is in our lives. But they, they already should see it first. The world around us should already see that there's something different about us and they may even call us crazy. And that's okay with me. And I think for all of you that are here, I think you're the same way. I think it's okay with you if the world calls you crazy because you're in love with Christ. And so our, our takeaway, our challenge from Paul in chapter 2 is what does the world see when they see me? And I hope and I pray for me that the world sees Jesus. That's what I pray. So let's pray together. Let's worship again together. And at least I'm going to change it up. Let's do I Speak Jesus again. I just I think we need to I think we need to wrap our morning up with that song. So let's pray together. Father again, God, you are so good. The truth of your word never fails. And God, I pray for all of us that the life that we live speaks Jesus Christ to the world around us. And it says nothing else. Nothing else but Jesus. So, Father, as, as we worship you this morning, continue to speak to each of us individually, just like you've done all morning. And, God, renew our strength today as followers of Christ. Renew in us that passion for you. Renew in us that change of heart so that the world sees nothing but you. And we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.